Another good program is Girls for Gaming. Check out our website, girlsforgaming.org, for more information on how to donate or get involved. We're starting a mentorship program as well, expanding our program for both education and insights. We welcome both strong female mentors as well as male allies within our programs and believe that together we can make a difference. Make an impact through Girls for Gaming. Welcome to the One Haas Podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today we have Tiffany Chin, Global Brand Manager at PlayStation. Tiffany is a Haas EWMBA and a marketer leading strategic planning and brand management in video games, anime, movies, and entertainment. Tiffany is a Forbes 30 Under 30, an advisory board member at South by Southwest, and the founder of Girls for Gaming. Welcome, Tiffany, and great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting to be a part of it. Yeah, Tiffany, it's great to have you on. We typically start the podcast by really just understanding, you know, where your story began. So could you share with us a bit where you grew up and where did your story start? Yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area, born and raised close to Cupertino, I think right next to where the Apple spaceship is. And so growing up in the Bay Area has really influenced me in a lot of ways being very much involved and interested in technology, which really has led me in a lot of ways to the career that I have right now. There are a lot of Hossies kind of come outside of the Bay Area. They kind of come as an adult or for work. What was it like growing up as a young person, like being in the Bay, maybe being part of Silicon Valley or seeing it growing up, even as a young kid, what was that experience like? The experience was very interesting. You know, you have a lot of, I would say, ambitious people and a lot of expectations around you as you're growing up because you're surrounded by a lot of successful startups or established companies within the area. And coming from a family where my father was one of the executive leaders over at HP, definitely some big shoes to fill as we were growing up. But it's funny because, especially in the Silicon Valley, having I would say, a pretty significant Asian diaspora that exists here. There's a lot of influences of Asian culture as well in terms of my upbringing, because you almost have these expectations from a career and culture standpoint of performing well and exceeding in everything that you do. But it's almost compounded by living in the Silicon Valley and being surrounded by that type of success. So definitely growing up, it was, I would say, a very competitive area that is very different from what I experienced when I moved down to San Diego for school. San Diego at UCSD, it was, I would say, half very focused on academics, but also you had that kind of San Diego laid back, chill vibe. Really was fun and interesting about college overall. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, could you explain a bit about you know how you ended up going to UCSD? I know a lot of folks in the Bay Area either are like super overachieving or really want to change a pace from just being in the Bay, um, try to go to warmer weather. <laughs> how, did, how did you choose uh, UCSD and, and what was your time like being in college in, in such a like a fun college town to be in? Yeah, it's funny because I chose to go to UCSD because it was close enough to home, but also far enough away. That's a good strategy. The reputation of the school, I think, precedes itself. It's one of the top UC schools and just overall a really great experience. They have a six-college system, which is super unique. I think one of the only other universities that does this is Cambridge. But 
it really drew me to that school in particular because they were trying to foster these kind of smaller cultures and communities within the college. Mm-mm. So when you go to college, it's not so overwhelming to try and find where your group is. So I really enjoyed that as well as I got a little bit hoodwinked when I was applying. When you apply for UCSD, they have these short little taglines or strap lines for their different colleges. And each of them have a unique kind of flavor or a unique philosophy to it. And so I chose Ravel. And for anyone who has gone to UCSD or looked into it, Ravel, they had as their tagline, like new age renaissance thinker. And I took a second and I thought, hmm, that sounds nice. Like I'd love to be a well-rounded, very cultured person. So I'm going to go for that. But (laughs) little did I know, That college had an extreme amount of general education requirements that don't necessarily pertain to your major. So I went to UCSD going into Ravel College as a communication major, but there were like three quarters of calculus you had to do, five different science classes. You had (laughs) humanities for five quarters. You had art. You had language. You had pretty much everything. Do I regret it? Absolutely not because I have some of my closest friends from college from that experience. But I also think that it's helped me understand the world a little bit better because I do feel much more well-rounded. For the people that I've met through Haas, they're working in biotech or they're working in a different field. And so based off of my knowledge from the general education requirements for school, I can kind of understand what they do and a little bit more than I think I would have if I didn't take those classes. That's an awesome experience. And I had a, you know, there are a couple of Hasis who, have, who come from uh, UCSD. And I think that the, the college system is, is pretty unique. I think there are very few schools out there that do that. And it's great to hear that your experience was so meaningful. How did you figure out what you wanted to do after school? I know that's a big step for a lot of folks. And could you share a bit about what that process was like for you? Yeah, I think coming from an Asian family, there's almost that expectation that you've chosen to be a doctor, a lawyer, a software engineer. Coming from that, I really quickly realized that those things were not what I wanted to do. I also realized that I didn't want to be that typical nine to five job. So I was really interested in working in something that was a little bit different. And growing up, I begged my parents unbelievably so many times to get these game consoles for me. I still have my green Nintendo 64, the Donkey Kong 64 version from way back when, because I had played crazy amounts, played the hell out of that. (laughs) And I think that plus my love for entertainment, whether it's anime or movies and TV shows, really had led me to this path of wanting to be in the entertainment realm in some fashion. But I really love this idea of video games because I feel like video games are the next frontier for entertainment. You're not just one-way communication, a passive observer of this medium, but truly your actions make a difference within the narrative, within the story, within the world that you're existing in that I felt was just super cool. And Tiffany, you're kind of alluding to it, like going into video games, I think for some people is like a pipe dream, like they would love to get into it. But it's pretty non-traditional, especially for I think you were saying like folks who maybe come from a more conservative background or, you know, are familiar with only a few number of industries. What was that like 
having that dream or vision and then actually like putting that into motion? Like what was that experience like? What are some of the like practical or tactical things you had to do in order to make that happen? Yeah, I think going into any type of entertainment industry, you have to know people. And so I happened to be pretty lucky. And this is, oh, this is awful. But in undergrad, I was in my sophomore year and I was applying to all these different internships. And so I applied to a number of different video game companies. But then I came across this company called Lucasfilm. And at the time, I didn't know what that was. So here I am <laughs> Googling on the internet. Uh, what is Lucasfilm? And I applied to be a PR intern for them for the summer. Luckily, I was chosen for it. And I feel like that internship helped me get my foot in the door, at least exposed me to a lot of the entertainment industry and a lot of contacts that helped me take those first steps into the industry. This was all before I really understood video games and what that industry entailed. But it was through that internship that I met someone who was the brand manager for the Lucasfilm video games. And so her and I would just talk and we were talking about how it was Star Wars The Old Republic that was changing from a subscription model to more like free to play. And we were just bouncing ideas of what would be interesting for that community and what could be fun. But I think internships was a great way for me to get in. I think there's so many other ways for people to get into the industry these days that haven't really been as tapped. IDGA, which stands for International Game Developers Association, and they have a great mentorship program. I'm one of the mentors of that, and it's been such a experience reaching out to not only college students, but people who in general are interested in joining the industry helping them understand what it's like, connecting them to the right resources. So I'd say there's a lot more resources out there that most people don't know about. Another group that's really great too is AIAS, which is the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. They have these scholarships that go out every year, help out not only game developers, but even people of color and women enter into this industry, which is quite hard to get into. It's how I met a couple of my latest coworkers was introduced through that program. So there's a lot more of those types of entries into the industry outside of internships that I think people haven't quite discovered just yet. That's awesome to hear. Tiffany, you uh, won or a couple of early experiences, you know, pivoted into, you know, a long career and you eventually landed at PlayStation. You've been at PlayStation for, for a number of years, if I understand correctly. Can you explain what it was like uh, when you first got into PlayStation and how it went from just being maybe a huge fan or, or really into video games to like, that's your day job and <laughs> all you're doing is uh, video games. Could you explain what that was like and maybe even what you do today? So it's been really great working at PlayStation. It's been I would say some of the best experiences I've had in my life so far. I have a really great team that I've been with ever since the beginning. What is it, like six and a half years ago, which feels like not even that long ago when I think about all of the different things that we've done. But I've loved working at PlayStation. It's such a dream come true working there because the people who work there are fans of the work that they do and they're fans of the products that they put out. And you can just tell from walking through the doors or talking to people who work there, they truly enjoy the games that they put out and the passion for games come through. 
It's funny because we really do cultivate a culture of play at PlayStation. Everything from us having little competitions, like we used to have these Mortal Kombat competitions or overcooked competitions. We'd order some pizza and we would have these teams go head to head against each other. And it was just super fun. The, the culture of play, the idea of play never really leaves the company in a lot of ways. So I've really enjoyed it outside of the people themselves, which I think really have made my experience at PlayStation. The products and the type of games that we make are also incredible. I've worked on a number of different titles since I've been there. Everything from Uncharted to MLB The Show to Horizon Zero Dawn. And now I get to lead God of War in the franchise. So we just launched God of War on PC and then Ragnarok, which is going to come. And I'm super excited for that. That's awesome. Yeah, could you explain, I know some of us in the MBA program are familiar with what a brand manager does or like a, in your case, like a global brand manager. Could you explain uh, maybe for folks who are less familiar, but are interested in the industry, like what does a brand manager do on a, on a regular basis, especially in the video game context? Yeah, brand managers, I would say is a little bit of a loose term at PlayStation, but typically a brand manager will be in charge of defining the way that a brand look, feels, tastes sometimes. And so it's a all-encompassing type of role when it comes to building the identity of a brand. You're always going to be reviewing assets to ensure that the way that it looks is in line with the kind of personality or the positioning that you've decided for that product within your marketplace. But overall, pretty much anything that you see publicly and even sometimes internally all has to go through the brand manager to make sure that it's in line with what we define as that particular brand. Gotcha, gotcha. And so at PlayStation for the exclusive games team, we have it kind of as a blended role because a lot of our brands are our products. The game is the brand. And so I would say in the past, a lot of what we did was product marketing, but we're doing so much more in terms of brand marketing these days. As you're seeing, so much of our games kind of infiltrate other parts of entertainment, whether it's board games and licensed products like that, or even movies. For example, the Uncharted movie. We have so much, I would say, influence over the way that the games are being put out to the public and in the ways of trying to take interesting new approaches to promoting those games. Tiffany, uh, I hear this a lot and it's mostly from like folks who haven't gone to business school, like on paper, you kind of like already accomplished your dream. Like you wanted to work in video games. You got into a, a great company, you know, that's well known, is doing awesome work. And then all of a sudden you decide <laughs> you decide to go to business school. I know this experience because I also had my own experience. But what why did you decide to go to business school and, and how did you end up, you know, figuring out, okay, I want to go to business school? How did you even think about going to Haas of, of all the different schools that are out there? This is a great question and something that I think has defined a lot of how I approach my career and approach life now. While I was at PlayStation, I had a boss named Joshua Seppielli, and he actually went to Haas. He was doing his part-time program while working on God of War alongside me. And we would often have these conversations about what he was learning in class because I was genuinely curious. I, I love learning new things and 
being in video games, we have such a very specific look at what business looks like. And having that perspective broadened just through exposure and, and conversations that you would have with classmates really intrigued me from a learning perspective. I think the other thing that really struck me was he had taken a class called Power and Politics. And we would often talk about these in our one-on-one -on -one conversations about what he was learning, like the way that you present yourself, the type of relationships that you build, your positional power versus relational power, and overall how different people have to function a little bit differently or present themselves a little bit differently in the workplace just because of the way that they're perceived or their identity really defines or comes along with some of these perceptions or some of these interpretations of actions. And so we often started to talk about how the way that he approaches certain situations or certain conversations would be possibly very different than the way that I would because I'm a woman. And so especially as an Asian woman, there are certain, I would say, perceptions or conceptions on how women, especially Asian, should act or be presenting themselves. So that kind of started to make me think a little bit more about what my role is. I'm in a position that by all means is, is really great, but I think what we've started to see over the last two to five years in the video game industry is that there is a little bit of disparity. <laughs> Let me take that back. There is a significant amount of disparity <laughs> between men and women in the workplace. And so a lot of the news that have come out recently about some of these bigger companies having some culture problems has really inspired me to try and make a difference here. You see some of these stories where it talks about a pay disparity, let alone a promotion disparity, and trying to find ways to provide more equity between these people, whether it's women or, you know, people of color, to essentially be on the same stage, have the same type of opportunities present to them that I think video games could really benefit from, that other industries are really getting behind right now, especially in tech trying to bring more equity to women, especially like female engineers, to the forefront of their industry. Could you share a bit of what that looks like in video games? I know the industry is big and a bunch of different types of organizations and maybe not specifically at PlayStation, but just more broadly. Can you ex share what that experience could be like for someone who might be like a minority or a woman in a like a heavily male dominated industry like video games and what that experience is like? So starting off with some of the video game IP that have existed for a really long time, like Dead or Alive, Tomb Raider with Lara Croft, there have been a lot of depiction of women that were through the male gaze. And now we're becoming a little bit more normalized in the way that we game through other games and other types of games that are being introduced, like Animal Crossing huge game that has become popular over the pandemic and really appeals to, I would say, more than that kind of male-dominated or that male-skewed type of video game appeal. Or you can even think about more family-friendly games like Overcooked or It Takes Two. Although It Takes Two is, I would say, more mature in its themes, the aesthetic is a little bit more approachable than, say, I don't know, Bloodborne or something that's a little bit more graphic. Tiffany, um, when you came to Haas, I know everyone comes from a, a different background or experience. You know, 
what were you hoping to get out of Haas? You know, I think for folks who apply to the program, it's not always easy, right? You have to fill out forms and, and get recommendations and stuff like that. So what were you hoping to get when out of the program when you uh, when you were um, applying and what did it feel like when you got in? So when I applied to Haas, I was really interested in getting a, a broader perspective. Again, working in video games for so long, I feel like you know your industry well, but you don't know what other industries are doing. And so I've worked in marketing this entire time and getting to go to Haas has been very enlightening in a lot of ways, not only from kind of the basics of business, but getting so many more diverse perspectives of how to approach a problem. Some of my classmates are software engineers, first and foremost, so they have a very systematic way of thinking about a problem versus someone else who maybe has a more political background. And so their approach to problems, like in leading people, were very relational or relationship-driven in the way that they would think about it. So overall, coming to Haas was, was very interesting. I think the fact that Haas focuses so much on DE&I really drove me to come to Haas because a lot of what I'm seeing in my industry has driven me to want to learn how to approach some of these more nuanced and, and complicated problems of how do we bring more equity into the space in a field that can often have some scarcity mentalities when we think about bringing other groups up or trying to, to bring more diverse people into our qualified groups. Yeah, I know, Tiffany, we we met, I think, in class talking about, of all the things, you know, the importance of uh, inclusion and equity and diversity. I know that's part of your story, you know, even as you're going to class and working a full-time a job, you've been doing some other stuff outside of work. And could you ex explain some of the things that you've been working on and how, you know, you've maybe tied in everything you have at Haas and your passion for diversity and into something else as part of your story. So outside of school, I've started working on this program called Girls for Gaming, and it's largely focused towards normalizing gaming for gender diversity. What that really means is kind of through three facets. One is through the professional route, being able to provide information to women in the industry of how to fight for equal pay or how to have some of those critical conversations that they need to have to bring a little bit more inclusion or a sense of belonging into the workplace. I think the second thing is really highlighting the games that do diversity well, especially, say, for example, games like Horizon Zero Dawn, where you have a female heroine as your main character and it's not through tokenizing type of a way. You have her existing as a normal human being, doing normal main character protagonist things, and honestly rocking it <laughs> in a lot of ways, fighting these robot dinosaurs and, and trying to save the world. The third thing is around trying to normalize this within the community itself. I think that one's probably the hardest, but through some of the things that I've experienced and I've learned through different groups at Cal, such as Cal Women Gaming, which is a great club for anyone who's in undergrad or grad to get involved in, really facilitates this inclusive community of women and tries to help bring people up and encourage gaming that is fun and lighthearted and doesn't always have to focus on 
oh, am I the best? Or, oh, I got this KDA that's crazy and curb stomping people. I don't know. <laughs> but it's not always about the performance aspects of video games, but really cultivating that community that lifts people up and, and has something as a focus to bring people together. That's awesome. Awesome to hear. I know, Tiffany, you, maybe a little bit more recently, you've become more of a face in gaming. You know, you, you, you're you on an advisory board for South by Southwest. And I think most recently, you know, I definitely saw it when uh, you got nominated or became part of the Forbes uh, 30 under 30. What has that been like to be able to um, become more of a face in a lot of ways for inclusion, and especially in video gaming and other areas of entertainment? And how has that transition been from just being a person really passionate about advocacy in this area and then, you know, to becoming, you know, a face and a decision maker and an influencer in a lot of ways? It's been really incredible. I honestly would not have imagined being in this position five, 10 years ago, but really I think it comes down to the network that I've built and the people who have really helped me along the way. When I first started at PlayStation, I experienced having a really great boss who encouraged me to take risks, calculated risks, of course, but would always advocate for me or, or push for me to have exposure to meetings, even if it was just sitting and being a fly on the wall. I think having allyship in that way of good management has really provided me a lot of opportunities that could have taken me a lot longer to to get where I am. I would say in addition to that, some of the people that I've had the opportunity and been blessed to work with have been phenomenal in terms of pointing me in the right directions of who to talk to to make the most impact. So one of my friends, John Wee, who works over at the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, we used to work on God of War together. And as I was talking to him, and we would talk about this rather frequently, about social media and how it builds communities, but also can create echo chambers. How do we build and foster a more inclusive community overall where there can be diverse perspectives? He was the one who really inspired me to start Girls for Gaming and talked me into what do you want to have happen within your industry? I think other people like Eric Monticelli, who is a, a close friend of mine, he's really influenced a lot of how I can move forward or who I can talk to, our connection with South by Southwest and the advisory board. Being a part of things like the South by Southwest advisory board really helps influence what kind of conversations are brought into discourse. There are so many different topics that are brought up, everything from NFTs to how do you bring IP to other mediums to what is it like to build more diverse and inclusive teams that I think are helping us push forward those important topics and discussions at the times that they're needed. And so those opportunities have really been special to me in terms of bringing up and elevating the news or the, the conversations that I think are most pressing in our industry at the moment. That's awesome. Yeah, I know, Tiffany, before we started the recording, you mentioned, you know, definitely you're really passionate about Girls for Gaming and Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. If people wanted to get involved or support or maybe I know there's a maybe some scholarships at the Academy. What What's a good way to get connected either to Girls for Gaming or the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences? Yeah, to get plugged in for the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, just go on their website 
They have an annual conference that goes on every February and is an amazing experience. If you are a student or a young professional that's working in video games, interested in working in video games, go to their website and they have a scholarship program that's available. Typically, it starts to go live around March for applications and scholarships are awarded, whether it's for monetary amount or for support to different video game events, but those will get awarded in May. We have one for Girls for Gaming that's available through our partnership with Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences. And overall, it's just a, a great place to start. They have an amazing slate of programs that are available, not only from like mentorship, but also from a program called Amplifying New Voices, which really focuses on giving people specifically people of color, different opportunities to hone their skills that are needed within that professional space. So definitely go to that website. If not, there's also IDGA that has their, they have a student membership, which is really affordable. And you get access to so many different resources through IDGA. You get plugged into what kind of games there are. You could do hackathons. So there's multiple ways to get involved. But would highly recommend going to some sort of a gaming event and just talking to people who work there. I would say the people that you meet in those settings based off of your passion for games are the most authentic relationships and connections that can help bring you into the industry if you're interested. Before we end for today, you know, would you mind just sharing one thing that, you know, has kind of gotten you excited or gets you excited about the future and maybe some closing words for folks who are listening to the podcast. Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for having me. This is such a blast. I would say if you are interested in video games, something that I've been really interested in lately is Arcane, which is the new League of Legends show on Netflix. I think it's such a great show that features strong female leads and has such an interesting approach to how Riot is really thinking about their whole portfolio. It's not just the show that's being celebrated, but the show through League of Legends, through Teamfight Tactics, and so many more facets of their company that really shows a culmination of great experiences coming forward. What's one piece of advice that you'd give uh, for someone who's passionate about gaming and, and wants to get into the industry? I would say for anyone who wants to work in video games, don't be discouraged. It is a tough industry to get into, but definitely follow what your passion is. I think no matter what, the unique thing about video games is that we all come from very different backgrounds, but the one thing that unifies us is what we love, which is games. Well, Tiffany, thanks again for being on the show today. And yeah, I just want to wish you uh, all the best semester and all the amazing endeavors that you have going on. Thanks so much for having me, and hopefully we'll hang out soon. Yes. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There, you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears. Go Bears.